Good morning, and welcome to University Heights United Methodist Church. I'm Susan Hancock, your program director. Our liturgist this morning is Vicki Swank, and I'm blessed to get to do your children's moment as well. And our pastor is David Newen. We want to welcome all of you here in the sanctuary, those watching us live, and those of you on WICR. I have just a couple of announcements this morning. Um, we want to thank everybody for bringing in school supplies during the month of August, and thank you for everybody who brought in garage sale items and for our shoppers who came. Heard it was a good success for our children's center. Um, we are going to, in starting September, we're going to have some opportunities for some small group studies, so watch for those. They have some exciting things coming up with that, and those will be online. Um, for those of you who are on our worship team, we will not be meeting tomorrow night, um, but Pastor Nguyen will be getting back with us soon to let us know when we will be meeting. Um, I hope you're still praying while you're washing your hands and um, doing those things. Um, you're doing that 20 seconds of keep praying for people because prayer is powerful and we want to keep that up for everybody. Um, our altar flowers today are in uh, memory of Jim Wilson on his birthday and Dick Duvall on his birthday and also um, in memory of her husband, uh, Cynthia Bymaster, on their wedding anniversary. So please stand now as you are able to greet one another in God's peace. And all the time, God is very good. It is a blessing to be in this space over the radio waves and online with you this morning to worship. Uh, may we offer ourselves this moment, our faith to God as we prepare to worship. Lord God, this is your time. You've created it. You fill it with your spirit. You move in the midst of this moment. Prepare us to meet you. Prepare us to hear again your story of faithfulness. Prepare us by laying down all that distracts and hinders and picking up all that enlivens and renews. For you are gracious and you are kind, you are powerful, and you are calling, and this is your moment. May we worship you in ways that glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Psalm number 67.
Please join me in the opening prayer. Holy One, grand designer, lover of our souls, you claim us and name us. You tell us who we are. Outside voices may tempt us. Opposing forces wish to sway us towards actions that harm. When offense comes, we may try to answer our pain with revenge. Tell us again who we are in you. Heal our broken heart. Restore our wounded spirit. And remind us that our identity is found in your grace and our commitment to your way. Amen. We'll now join together in the affirmation of faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. may be seated. As we come to this time of prayer this morning, uh, we celebrate with those that are uh, remembering anniversaries or birthdays today. We also pray for those that continue to heal and recover. Um, most recently, we pray for uh, Wanda Hampton after having a foot procedure this week to pray for her healing as well as several from our congregation that continue to mend from recent surgeries. I do invite you to join with me now. May we bow our heads, lift our hearts to God as we pray. the things of earth will grow. 
as we center ourselves on prayer, remind us, O oh God, that you are as close to us as our very breath. Even those times when you may feel far away, in these times when many of us find it hard to breathe, you are there with us. So we begin our prayer today with a deep breath. And as we breathe in, we breathe in your peace. And as we breathe out, may we breathe out your love. We lift up our prayers today for our country, for the experiences of tension and unrest. We pray, Lord God, continuing to pray for those places of, of brokenness and violence. We pray for Jacob Blake and his children. We pray for the lives of those protesters who were killed and injured. We pray for those good people that are trying to protect. God of justice, help each of us do our part as we seek to transform, redeem the soul of our country. We pray, Lord God, for our world in this never-ending coronavirus pandemic. We lift our prayers for those affected, for children starting a new school year, for the stresses on families, for wisdom of our leaders as they try to determine the way forward. We pray especially for Spain, the new epicenter of the virus, for Brazil where cases continue to rise. God of grace, help each of us do our part as we seek to slow the spread. We pray, Lord God, for the earth, for the ramification of climate change and natural disasters, millions of acres in California ablaze. We pray for those that were in the path of Hurricane Laura as it made its way on land in Texas and Louisiana. We pray for those who have lost family members or have damage to their property. Breathing in smoke from wildfires or from explosions makes it hard to breathe. Seeing the lives of innocent people cut short due to prejudice makes it hard to breathe. Experiencing fear and loss during a global pandemic makes it hard to breathe. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, O oh God with tension high everywhere, that we may breathe in your peace, breathe in your love. Help us to breathe out, Lord God, compassionate words to those whom we love as we pray for our families, our friends, our church members. Help us to breathe so that we may do the work of healing that is so desperately needed and that we might find your joy along the way. We pray today, Lord God, in step with, in breath with, your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, 
who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Testament lesson this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 56, verses 1 and 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. And the foreigners who joined them this to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it, and hold fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Thus says the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, I will gather others to them besides those already gathered.
The word of God from the Gospel of Matthew this morning, chapter 15, selected verses. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your traditions? Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter's demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Scripture today, it said that 
Jesus is concerned about what comes out of our mouths because it shows what comes from our heart. We need to remember what Jesus wants us to do and be kind and say kind things to everyone. And this is a perfect week for this scripture because September 1st starts on Tuesday and September is Kindness Month when every day our challenge is to do something kind for someone else. So please join me in this challenge, and what a wonderful month it will be. Let's pray. Dear God, you know every word we say and every thought we have in our heart. Help us to have those words and thoughts always be kind. Amen. And boys and girls, I hope you have a great week, and I miss you. And I have a special birthday wish. Tomorrow is Anna's birthday, so happy birthday, Anna. Have a good one. You are what you eat. Have you heard that phrase before? Nowadays, we figure it means if you eat healthy food, your body will be strong. If you eat junk food, your body will be a dump. You have 300 billion cells in your body depending on the fuel you give it, so reward it with good stuff, yes? Roald Dahl in Charlie and a Chocolate Factory helped me see this idea play out in humorous terms. Who doesn't remember Violet Beauregard, the third of five children, to find one of the golden tickets and earn a trip to Willy Wonka's factory? Now, Violet is a relentless and competitive gum chewer, and so when she hears that Wonka has invented a gum that tastes like a three-course meal, she has to try it. Of course, it hasn't been perfected yet, but she snatches a piece from him and starts chewing anyway. And as predicted, the dessert phase is defective, the blueberry pie, and she literally becomes what she eats, turning blue, inflating, and expanding into a giant blueberry. And the Oompa Loompas have to roll her away to deduce her before she explodes and it's because of her that I do not try new foods because I would be very afraid if I turned into something. So that explains my story. The phrase, you are what you eat, came from a French author who wrote, tell me what you eat and I will tell you what you are. He was talking less about science and more about character. And that idea has been around for millennia. I found this very interesting. The ancient Aztecs would eat the brains of their rivals because they believed it gave them wisdom of their adversaries. People in India, some cultures, did not eat onion or garlic because they believed foods associated with strong odors led to aggressive and oppressive behaviors. The Nordic Vikings believed that drinking the blood of a bear or a wolf before battle would give you the ferocity of that animal. You don't have to go too far as Christians to see we follow this line of thinking. Every month we eat bread, we drink juice, the body and blood of Christ, believing we take in his character, his cause, the cost of his ministry. 
first century Judaism was similar. They had a belief about food and how you ate it, and it corresponded to rightness and relationship with God. Kashrut laws, describing what was kosher, were followed as a call to holiness. God said, I am holy, be holy as I am holy. So the ability to distinguish between right and wrong, sacred and profane, good and evil, was vital to their religion, and their diet helped them to learn this and live it out. Their diet created a boundary between themselves and others who might influence them wrongly. Rules on what you could and couldn't eat meant to inspire your faith, to trust in the Torah, to ingrain self-control against sin. And not only could bad foods contaminate you, but good foods could too if you had already touched bad stuff. So washing your hands, it wasn't about hygiene, alleviating germs, it was purifying yourself in case you had touched something unclean like a corpse or forbidden foods or diseased persons or animals. Technically, the Old Testament didn't have a rule against washing or the need to wash your hand before every meal, but over time, ritual hand washing became something that just every pious Jew would do. If folks didn't wash their hands, then were they devout? Did they really love God? Kind of like if you don't carry the Bible on the top of your book stack, do you really honor God's Word? If you don't listen to Caleb nonstop, do you really honor God's music? So why aren't Jesus' disciples washing their hands then? They're devout Jews, aren't they? Do they not love God? Don't they know they are what they eat? That's what the Pharisees were asking. Jesus, on the other hand, says, they're all good. His teaching was so contrary to their purity laws that they were offended. They wanted some sense of revenge. The question is, what, does, what do we need to be fit in the presence of God? What is God looking for in our character? Jesus said it's not about what we put in our mouth. That's not what God's looking for. It's rather what comes out of our mouth that defiles. He uses some gross terminology to help us understand. He said, folks, yesterday's lunch is gone. You put it in your mouth, it passes through the digestive tract, and out it goes. Thank you, Sir John Harrington, for the flush potty. We appreciate that. The potty carries away the mistakes of what you put into your body yesterday. Including, says Jesus, the spiritual mistakes of eating unclean things. There they go. But what comes out of your mouth, careless words, evil, lies, they continue to be harmful even after they're spewed. Our destructive words and our actions, they aren't formed by our diet either. They're formed by our heart. The heart was believed to be that inner consciousness, that place of discernment during Jesus' day. It helps us know what to follow. And so when our heart goes bad, well, it produces words like daggers that still have the power to defile and hurt long after they've been said. Those choices are not just simply washed down the sewer. Jesus doesn't disagree with holiness. He just wants to make a broader claim about what it means to be a citizen in the beloved community of God. 
we might be thinking about those things we individually take in that hurt. But he wants us to think more broadly about what we put out in building the kingdom of God. Or as Doc Hollingsworth once wrote, while most of the religious community was preoccupied with what would defile and hurt the body, Jesus was more concerned with what comes out of our bodies that can defile and hurt the world. It's rather shocking that the example of this playing out comes from a story at Jesus' expense. This is one of the most troubling stories for me and for followers of Jesus to understand. Jesus is traveling along the border of Gentile territory when he is confronted by a Canaanite woman who is shouting about her daughter who's spiritually unwell. The Canaanite woman represents every kind of barrier imaginable in Jesus' day. Different ethnicity, heritage, religion, gender, not to mention demon possession, and shouting in public. So all of these things are taboo, forbid, otherness, sinful pollutants to holy people and Israelite faith. So how does Jesus respond to her? He's silent. He refuses to acknowledge her because he doesn't want that diet of sin coming into him, like all good Jews. When she pleads to him, Lord, help me, he refers to her as a dog, a familiar and yet painful insult of Canaanites from Israelite people. That slur has the same tone as if it were shouted in a high school hallway today, that female dog. It's offensive. We would expect Jesus to react differently Sharon Ringe calls this a moment when Jesus is caught with his compassion down, called to confront some of his own prejudice. I wish I could explain away his words. Maybe by talking to her at all, he was breaking down a barrier. He did heal her after all. At the end of the story, he does heal the daughter and respond to her faith. But his words, his words, So how did the woman respond? How did she experience what she had heard? These words of offense, did they change her? Did she allow what was outside to then taint her actions and lead to revenge? No, Jesus' response didn't describe her. The words from the outside did not define her. She had within her a character, within her own heart that determined her conviction and her self-identity. She believed God was merciful. She believed the scripture when God said, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. She knows the mercy of God overflows beyond the skin tones of the Jews, her gender as a woman. And that conviction is what guides her response. Unlike the Pharisees, when they heard offensive stuff, they wanted to hurt Jesus. When she heard it, she just kept praying. She kept reaching until Jesus saw the light of her faith. So the question for us is what defines us? What defines you? Outside forces, voices, influences, the poison we might take in. Is that what defiles us? 
whether it's contributions of news network anchors or outspoken celebrities or people that thrive on frequent screen time, or maybe the providers are more personal, a close family friend, a, a member, a friend, um, a sour teacher, a mentor, the environment in which you were raised. Are we just conditioned to be reactionary? eating from the buffet of offense. And so we become what we eat. Trash that comes in leads to trash that's going out. Jesus says that doesn't have to be so. We're defined by what is already placed at our core, at our heart. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, Ezekiel 36, 26. He made no distinction between them, having cleansed their hearts by faith, Acts 15.9. Remember that if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Everything old has passed away and everything has become new, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, Matthew 5.8. Each moment as we walk in faith. Walk in the Spirit, remembering the heart of hope we've been given. It's an opportunity to speak as if we are encountering all over again the living Christ. Each moment, we have a chance to choose God who cho chose us, to say, I am not what I eat, what I hear, what I see, what others are trying to force down my throat or subtly try to get me to sip. I am a beloved child of God. I have been redeemed by his work on the cross, and I am serving this Savior that I love. And I have the, the freedom to choose how I will respond to offense. This week was the 67th anniversary of the March on Washington. I was reminded of the character of Martin Luther King Jr. There was a Time Magazine article from 1957 that provided a rare look at how King was remembered before he became known throughout the world. From his earliest memory, Martin King had a strong eviction to violence in all forms, the article writes. The school bully walloped him. Martin didn't fight back. His younger brother flailed him, and he stood there and took it. A white woman in a store slapped him, crying, you are the in blank who stepped on my foot. Martin said nothing. The shoe store clerk thrust his family out the back door, saying, you blacks aren't welcome here. And Martin and his parents left without a word. Some would say cowardice. If so, it would come as a surprise to Montgomery, where Martin Luther King unflinchingly faced the possibility of violent death for months. At Morehouse College, as a young man before receiving his call to ministry, he recalls thinking, I was ready to resent all the white race, the offense, the food from the outside, right? From his own experience, he could identify with the stories of many who had come to hear him speak at the National Mall in 1963 when he said, I am mindful that some of you have come here from great trials and tribulations, fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas 
where the quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality, you've been the veterans of creative suffering. That's the food of the age. Folks could take that in. That could define you. And yet Martin Luther King did not eat the poison. He heard the noise. It spoke to him. It motivated him. But he didn't become that diet. Instead, standing before the Lincoln Memorial, he proclaimed, there's something I need to say to my people who stand on this warm threshold that leads into the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline and not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again, we must arise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. That's the force of the heart. It's the force of the gospel, the force of Christ's love. That's the character he knew that his diet would not overcome. From the words of abuse, from belittling prejudice, soaking every situation, lies and fabrications, stripping his credibility, King was able to craft words that would heal, that would evoke change, that would ignite sacred journeys towards God's vision. We can feast on criticism and contempt, and we may very well become what we eat. But in the name of Jesus Christ, I compel us, compel you to respond from the heart, leaning on the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, and making the good come out.
Heavenly Father, even as we continue to gather with our face coverings and social distancing, we know that that cannot dull the love and joy in our hearts from you. We ask that you take these tithes and offerings today and use them to transform the world to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. Blessings to all of you in your worship today, for those who played music, led liturgy, prayed and sung with all their heart. I give thanks for your faithfulness. Go forth as people who, yes, eat well, but also live well for the sake of God's kingdom in the world through our thoughts, our words, and our actions. Thanks be to God. Amen.
said. 